That was a good pop. It's Alyssa Edwards in here. <laughs> oh, yeah. The glug, glug, glug. And the, and the bubbles. So I don't even have to add it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, it's this not is, in post. This is all live, baby. Hey, Louie. Hey, Gavin. How are you, babes? Oh, I'm sparkling. Mm. Mm. You know what that tastes like? Oh, success. A hundred episodes. Oh. We we did it, babe. We did it. Is, is this an engagement ring in it? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's actually a beetle. That is a beetle. Oh, that's a beetle. <laughs> mm. Mm. I already ate it. Flavor. <laughs> the flavor of success. <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to The Mixed Reviews. We are a film podcast in which we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or a mini-genre, and we give you an entire history, and then we say... We like this. And then we say, we don't like this. We say, I don't think so, honey. But also, what's going on over here? And why? Um, <laughs> we're not quite doing that this episode, however. No. Um, this is a format breaker. Yeah, we are saying, um, I don't know, we're breaking down the walls. <laughs> we are Kelly Clarkson breaking free um, because it is a very special episode. First of all, you guys can't see this, but I am back, back, back again here with my good friend Gavin in our old, um, you know, recording space for the first time since the big, well, we like had one episode where we recorded like at the beginning of the pandemic yeah. where we're like Sally Field, Sally Field. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not since Sally Field, um, where we both picked Norma Ray. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, not since then have I been back over and it's so wild to be back. And I think, um, it is appropriate for our 100 episode for, um, I was very glad to hop on that bus and come on over, baby. Christina Aguilera. It's very nice to be face to face because now we can scream at each other. Like yeah. in the, yep. Yeah, you guys don't know. I edit the episodes, so I, I remove all that <laughs> stuff. I take it out. Right. Um, no, it is, it's super, super duper nice to like have you in front of me and actually hang out and like get to, I know, feed off of your energy as well. Not that I'm a vampire, but, but you yeah, are, but I am. And, <laughs> Also, it's very exciting for me because it means one audio track. So yes, it's also very exciting for me because I can just like punch you whenever I need to. Yeah, just reach Which, over. Um, and it's very apt because this episode today will be a full on uh, boots, um, scratching, clawing, eyes out, um, drag race lip sync battle royale. Oh yes, it is our one hundredth episode SmackDown. Now, if you listen to our 50th episode, you know, we took a moment to like look back, mm -hmm. get nostalgic, mm -hmm. be like, oh, what a wonderful job we did. Not this season, Not honey. Not this time. Nope, nope, nope. This time we're bringing it all to the mat. We have chosen five of our five star reviews and we're going to pit them against each other based off of five different categories. Yes. Best actress, best actor, best director, best of the mini genre, and a wild card slot. It's getting wild up in here. Think of this as mixed reviews all stars. Okay, um, we went through the archives. We cataloged all of our picks, and Gavin and I chose who we thought could be in the final five. Absolutely, the five stars of the five stars um, that best represent our show and our love for movie going and theater. And um, yeah, hopefully, it's like a fun little. Stroll down memory lane, but also um, kind of, I mean, I'll say going back, I was like, what have I, I've been on some things. <laughs> Listen, you have, we both have taste. We don't know if it's good taste. Yes, Neither of us right? knows if it's good taste, but we certainly have 
a taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was like going through like all the episodes, and I was like, I really chose Tango and Cash for best. Um, Listen. Buddy Cop Films was a dark time for both of us. You know, I, I, also the pure psychosis of me. We did uh, the episode of superhero team movies. Um, you chose X2, X-Men United. I chose literally Captain America Civil War. Yeah. Which you, is psychotic. You were like, I love airports. Mm-hmm. I love gray. Beige. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, all the things. Yeah. All the- yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it was like a fun little rewind to kind of see all that. But okay, before we get too far into this, we do have a poll to get to. Absolutely. So before we get ready to lip sync for our legacy. Yes. We need to go back and visit Miss Cameron Diaz, who was the subject of our last episode, and find out what you guys thought was her best performance. Yes. Um, we asked you guys to go online um, and vote for your favorite and the results are in. In last place was The Sweetest Thing with 16%. Something About Mary came in at 18%. And then my pick, Charlie's Angels, came in at 25%. And a walloping 41% of y'all said, in her shoes, which was Gavin's pick. Congratulations, Gavin. Oh, why, thank you. I, where's my scepter? Where's my crown? You've won the mini challenge. <laughs> Will you win the main? We'll see. Um, I was going to say, winning the mini challenge is often a curse. So, so there you go. Um, we had a lot of people respond on Twitter, though, about, you know, oh the my Cameron God. Diaz episode. Overwhelming response about the holiday. The holiday really I came swinging. And, like, listen... I said on the episode I really liked it, but mm-hmm. like I was unprepared. I I felt like I had said the holiday is the worst movie ever. I like, know people were like none of them. I want the holiday. I know. I was like, <laughs> okay, we did say that we liked Kate Winslet's uh, section better, and I was like, what am I going to bump off? The sweetest thing where she's the lead, right? There's something about Mary which like made her career. Hello. Yeah, I was a little shocked you didn't put Last Supper in there. That's all. I, I, I know. I head above water. That was a hard know? one for me. That was, that was a really hard one. Um, Every, but, everyone's favorite gambit. Yes. <laughs> everyone's favorite. <laughs> um, but thank you to Cameron Diaz. A beautiful, wonderful 99th episode. I also did get someone who was like, you did, guys didn't talk enough about the other woman. And I was like, we talked and just enough yeah. about the other woman. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to. Are t- you friends with Nicholas Coster, whatever his <laughs> last name is? is that-, <laughs> that like, um, he plays like the same guy all the time, right? It's like yeah, a yeah. hot who's dumb. And yeah, like- yeah. And occasionally fucks his sister. But that's only when he's wearing armor. Only. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Only. Um, but okay. So thank you, Cameron Diaz. That is over. That's canceled. Um, we are getting into the 100th episode. And... The, the the whole the, the lip sync the showdown the the battle royale um before we get into it gavin i wanted to um ask you about like what you thought about going back through the because essentially we split it up you went through one through 50 i went through 51 through 99 to like write down all of our picks did you like notice anything or like think of anything um, that stood out to you when you were looking? Well, the first thing I noticed was how wildly different our audio quality is throughout yeah, the, yeah. the episode. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Um, but also, I don't know. I, I mean, we clearly have... One of the things that I like about this show is we clearly have good rapport with each other. And I love being in a room with you and being able to discuss these things and really get into it. And not to say that Zoom... Uh, Zoom has been very helpful, especially during a time in which we couldn't physically be in a room together. But it is nice to be able to sit across from you and express ideas. Because I will say, listening back to some of the other episodes, we were like, 
oh, baby, no, mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. some of our picks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in Zoom, we're just kind of like, let it go. Yeah. Just it's let like, it. let it go because, like, is the internet quality not going to, like, fuck up? Like, <laughs> I don't want to step on your toes. Like, it's easier to interrupt when we're yes, live. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, what I, like, we went through a lot in the, like, certainly in the past year. But, like, I've liked seeing how the show has, like, evolved and grown. Um I think a lot of listeners or at least a couple have reached out to us that they like found us specifically during like the civil unrest um, period, our Angela Bassett episode. Yeah. Which basically kicked off that kind of like mini era for us. That episode is like kind of sad just because both of us are so like emotionally drained from the fucking world being a trash fire. Yeah. Which it hasn't gotten much better. No, but we've, we're just coping now Yeah, um, with lots of drinking. Um, but also, you know, like I think about, we had our, you know, Netflix watch parties. Yeah. Um, which was like really sweet and nice to like even connect with a couple friends, um, and listeners. Um, and we've had like, we had a run there where we had guests for like five episodes in a row. Yeah. Uh, with some really cool and interesting people who, you know, um, had a lot of passion and things to say about, um, some really great films that I, you know, had never seen before. Um, and I've always said, I think, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty like, uh, low-key movie person um or movie lover like i do love movies and by that you mean you strictly love loki the loki, disney plus TV yes series. correct you refer to every episode as a movie mm-hmm. and that's all you've ever seen yeah i love bisexual lighting <laughs> um but it, you know and, and so being able to like watch all these you know movies like the angela bass movies i'd never seen before yeah. all the barbara streisand movies i never seen before well like bozeman and lena which was you know a completely out of the box yes. pick from you and a wonderful pick. And I was so happy when you picked it. And I, like, in that case, I was the one who was like, basic bitch. And I went with what's love got to do with it. Admittedly, she should have won an Academy Award for that. So I'm sticking by it. But exactly. That's the sort of thing that you, you get with doing this show is discovering, you know, these sort of buried treasures. And honestly, and this is not to denigrate anybody else's idea of what they do with movies and whatnot but i get exhausted just talking about bad movies Mm -hmm. like i don't want to talk about bad movies all the time and people love to read negative reviews they love to read a takedown because it's you know cynical and salty and Mm -hmm. it's everything that you want to (laughs) say sort of amplified but sometimes it's nice to be like this is a thing i truly love yeah and and this is the reason why maybe you should love it too especially things that like people pass over or Things that like people dismiss, um, like yeah. Some sometimes I just like the basic dumb shit. Like <laughs> yes, I did pick Baps for my Halle Berry, um, you know. Episode. You know what? That's a great pick. And though. Baps is yeah. incredible. Like, and I think in the conversation of like Halle Berry's work, though, I don't think many people are like, yes, Baps is her best film or best <laughs> performance. But like when you think of the impact of in the culture, uh, and that stands. Far and above, I think, a lot of her more, quote-unquote, serious works. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's like... I would watch Baps over... <laughs> Monsters Ball. Ball. You Any would? Day of the week. So crazy, Gavin. Um, okay. Let us move on from Waxing Poetic. Um, let us get into the fisticuffs. So round one, we are doing Best Actress. Yes. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we are choosing... From our picks, not necessarily the actual like 
subject. No. And we are putting up the picks against yes. each other. So, for example, if I was to have picked BAPS and you were to have picked um, the, your Halle Berry pick, which was uh, what we lost in the fire, like the movies and performances from those movies are what's battling out. It's yes. not like Halle Berry versus Angela Bassett. That's not what we're doing here. We are, <laughs> no. <laughs> we're no, specifically talking about the, the our five-star picks. Yes. Just to be clear. No, I'm so glad you made that clear because, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I it's, it's literally not... It's not about pitting any woman against any woman, um, any man against any man, though men should all stop. Yes. Yeah, so maybe that's a good idea. But, but yeah, it's more about us discussing... Our favorite things that we've talked about over the last 100 episodes mm-hmm. and putting them up against each other and seeing how they rank out. There you go. Okay, so we wrote down our picks so that there was no last minute uh, switcheroonies exactly. here um, to be as fair as possible. We'll reveal at the same time yes. to each other. Um, we will do the discourse and then we will try and convince each other and we will decide. So... After this little discourse, we'll have our best actress top of the pick. Uh, For our first 100 episodes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Ready? It's locked and loaded. Okay. Yep. One. Two, oh, fuck. Okay. One, <laughs> two, three. Oh. What, what, what? Yours tilted? Oh, mine did tilt. Um, it says, what's up, Doc Babs? What's up, Doc? Mm-hmm. Okay. And my five-star pick is The Heiress. Yes. Which, which is, is Olivia de Havilland. Olivia de Havilland. Um, very good pick, Gavin. That's a very good pick, too. You might have me. You might... I mean... (laughs) Let me plead my case first. Yes, okay, so Gavin, go ahead. So, The Heiress, uh, if you all remember from our Olivia de Havilland episode, is a romantic drama directed by William Wyler. It's based off a 1947 play called Washington Square, and it's about this woman, uh, Catherine Sloper, and she's, like, naive and socially awkward, and she lives with her father, who's a very big presence. Ralph Richardson plays Dr. Sloper. She's set to inherit a large amount of money from her father, and he wishes that she would be more social, would go out and be like a quote-unquote normal girl, when clearly she has what we would now consider an incredible amount of social anxiety. She's awkward. She wants to stay in. She wants to do her needlework. and (laughs) All I can think of is she wants to like play video games, stream on Twitch. Exactly. Um, her hair is parted. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Um, she dresses in overalls and wears glasses. No. <laughs> she can be a farmer. Um, and essentially she, she ends up going to a party and she runs into Montgomery Cliff. Now, um. Hottie alert. Yeah, I was going to say, if you are unaware, Montgomery Cliff was a beautiful, beautiful queer man in real life. <laughs> and he plays a character named Morris Townsend. And you spend most of the movie wondering, does he actually have feelings for Catherine Sloper, or is he after her money? And through a series of, you know, first her father is like, no, you can't marry this man. And then, you know, a series of things happen. She grows harder. He, like, leaves without letting her know that he's leaving mm-hmm. because, and she thinks it's because... He doesn't she, really love her. Right. He doesn't really love her, and she she was going to deny her inheritance, and then her father dies and she's become this hardened woman and he comes back into her life and the question remains does he love her for who she is or does he love her for the things she has mm-hmm. he fears that you never understood him that you never judged him rightly how can you say that to me 
You were in this room the night he deserted me. If you would hear him out. And if you would try to understand his side of it, Catherine. He meant it nobly. Really, he did. I can hear that you have been with him. He has beguiled you again and you talk like a fool. I don't care what you think of me, dear. I am convinced that you will be happier after you've seen him. Save your breath, Aunt Peniman. I will not see him. Aunt Peniman, have you dared? He walked home with me. He implored me to ask you. Oh, I only want your happiness, Catherine. Go to the door, Aunt, and tell Mr. Townsend that I am not at home. Please, Catherine, I you... am not at home. I'm not going to spoil the ending for you, but it is one of my favorite endings in all of cinema. It's so cold and so calculated, and you don't see it in many movies like that from that era. I think one of the things that makes it really impressive is Olivia de Havilland's performance in this film is transcendent. She goes from this shy, awkward, like genuinely awkward woman into this hard, bitter person who says exactly what's on her mind and exactly what she thinks of you. And to watch that change is so fascinating because she's... It reminded yourself of you. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I am but a husk of a human being. (laughs) She's so happy-go-lucky and even though she is quiet and insular, and to watch that part of someone die and have it so well played in a film from 1949, it's not something you get every day. And I truly think it's one of her most masterful performances. She won her second Academy Award for lead actress for this film. And yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's good enough to say, hey, she's really fantastic in this film. And I think she could take down any pick that you might have. Um, nice try, honey, with your hashtag heiress problems. Um, no, the heiress is good. Um, but as we all know, that wasn't my Olivia de Havilland pick. No. Um, but my pick is What's Up Doc, 1972. Um, it literally is just like bits, 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 bits. The movie um, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, um, starring the indomitable Barbara Streisand, who Streisand. Yes, Streisand. Streisand. As we learned today. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the hottest Ryan O'Neill, which is so unfortunate because he's such a, like, not uh, an actual monster. Yeah. 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 Um, but What's Up Doc is just screwball comedy at the the best, the, the pinnacle of screwball comedy. I had never seen this movie before. I saw it for the show. And Barbara is doing, like, it. It's the like you know everything that is about like her being a star is here in this movie. She's giving you coy over the shoulder girl. Um, it's literally all these people coming to this hotel, and there are people who want to steal shit, and it's like mistaken identities. She's like just like wanting to fuck, but also like have fun. And there's like um, like a bunch of fucking nerdy dudes having a conference. There's like um. Uh, a briefcase that gets stolen and like there's like the same briefcase like jewelries and shit like it's it's absolutely bonkers and she is just transcendent she literally glows on the screen it is wild it's a beautiful film it's like so colorful um it's so masterfully directed and i believe i said it in the episode though there's this scene this whole setup with a plate of glass yes yes crossing the road 
And we've seen that one billion times. It's a very Looney Tunes, very like... It's Looney Tunes, the movie! (laughs) Something is going to crash through that glass. But they build the anticipation to what is going to destroy that glass so high. Mm -hmm. And that when it finally does, you are in hysterics. You lose it. You lose it. And this, for Barbara specifically, and, and the reason why I think... You know, I chose this and I had like a long list of like semifinalists. <laughs> um, and I just thought, I think this is for me representative of the best of the best from our last 100 episodes because one, to me, it was surprising. Two, she's firing on all cylinders. She is funny. She's able to do that thing. And I've talked about this before, like where, where a character is unlikable and I'm like, oh, so unredeeming, but she, is able to walk that line so yeah. well, even though she is being, you know, deceitful uh, and she is fucking playing games. And poor um, Ryan O'Neill's character is like, please just leave yeah. me alone. Just fully unprepared yeah. for the nonsense she's going to drag she, him into. She is a typhoon of energy and she's like, absolutely not, honey. I am going <laughs> to be your life ruiner. Um, and it's just from beginning to end. She gets to sing in the movie as well. She does. And it's so funny, but it's so well handled. It's not anything that breaks the fourth wall. No. no. But she is there. She's trying to coax him into singing. Flirty, flirty, flirty. Coquettish. She's on the piano. Yes. That's very good. And when two lovers woo, they still say, they still say, I love you. And it's one of those things like you don't see star turning performances like that a lot anymore. Yeah. You certainly see people who act really well and you're like, oh, wow, this is an, a, a rising actress who's amazing and is going to go places. But it's such what she's doing is such like old school Hollywood. She's also like obviously gorgeous and sexy, but not it's exuding from inside of her. Yeah. She's not like, you know, giving body, yaddy, yaddy. Um, and it's just I don't know that a lot of uh, women who could have done that role and like done it as well as she did. And she just was like fucking the four corners of the universe was able to get it all done. And not to throw like a little bit of shade towards the heiress, but I will. Um, I think that, you know, the heiress is to me a very traditional because we both picked like oldish movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is from 1972. Yours was from 1949. Um, so we're both kind of like in the old Hollywood realm. Um, but I do think the heiress is a pretty traditional, um, story that like is done over and over again. It's like in plays. It is, often. It, you know, and it's, it's been remade. It was remade mm-hmm. under its stage name, Washington square. Yes. With Jennifer Jason Lee, who I actually think is very good in the movie. Yes. Um, and I just think that what's up doc, like we don't get too many more screwball comedies. Um, I don't know, like maybe, um, an Emma Stone could play in this realm, but like, I don't know. There's something very singular about this performance um, that to me is unrivaled. And you may have me because honestly, an Olivia de Havilland unparalleled master. I mean, anybody who sues Ryan Murphy near their centennial. Hello. Is aces in my book. But, you know, it comes down to that thing where it's like Barbara Streisand could maybe play the heiress. Yes. But yeah. I don't know if Olivia de Havilland could play the character in What's Up Doc. Yeah. 
I don't want to concede this early because I do think you should really take time to consider the errors. But I gotta say, What's Up Doc is a really excellent pick, and I doff my hat to you, sir. You have won this round. Yay! <laughs> um, I'm so excited because I think Actress was the hardest one because we had so... Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Like, we cover women a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, Shocking. I know. It's not like our audience wants that. I know. It's so <laughs> weird. You guys are, like, always asking for, like, more old white men. It's like... <laughs> enough. Um, so there yeah, there was a lot. Um, do you want to reveal um, some of your finalists for... Oh, goodness. Uh, you, you are right. I mean, it is, the, it is the longest list of things that we had to choose from. Um, we did get um, Friend of the Pod... And um, guest on the pod shells um, said, "Please consider Whoopi Goldberg's our pick. Our, both of us, we both of us picked um, Boys on the Side. Boys on the Side, um, and that was on my short list for um, actress. Um, but but you know, I thought um, as much as I love that performance and Whoopi, um, it doesn't have to me the star power vehicle that What's Up Doc was. Yeah." Our listener, Michelle Pod, wrote in to mention uh, Wait Until Dark for our Audrey Hepburn episode. I do think that's a really strong choice. And that was definitely in my running, especially because uh, I think, you know, there's so many roles in which people sort of considered Audrey Hepburn just a movie star. Right, right. And truly, she was an actor. Yeah. You know, and I think Wait Until Dark fully does that. It's scary. It's tense. Uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the ones that I considered yeah i had um come back to the five and dime jimmy dean jimmy dean again just like to me you're always gonna get me when you surprise me like yeah i did not know that Cher could do that um i it was very hard for me to not pick (laughs) miss firecracker because i love first of all i love that movie yes but i was like do you i heard you bring it up before it's like kind of like a little indie film um but that was for our alfrey woodard episode and i was like that movie unfortunately is not Alfred Woodard's, um, that is a Holly Hunter movie. Absolutely. Well, that's the, my problem with, I was also considering if Beale Street could talk, which we did in our Regina King episode, which was my five-star review for Regina, and she won her Academy Award for it. But once again, it's a supporting role. Right. And so it's like, am I doing justice to this category by giving it to, but her performance in that movie is so beautiful and so mm-hmm. nuanced. And mm-hmm. honestly, if you've not seen If Beale Street Could Talk, because it only came out a couple of years ago, uh, run, don't walk. Yeah. Just, yeah it's gorgeous film. Um, okay, excellent. We have our first star in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Absolutely. So why don't we move into our five stars for our actor? Okay, Louis, are you ready to reveal? I'm ready to rumble, bitch. <laughs> it's your five star actor in three, two... One. Oh my god! <laughs> wow, wow. I fucking knew it. Yeah, I knew it too. Ladies I, and gentlemen, our five star actor goes to Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Absolutely. <sighs> I don't Unparalleled. Know, absolutely. I don't know if there is another movie on our list of actors we have covered who have given such a passionate, beautiful studied lived in performance yep. uh, you know Vincent Price close in the abominable Dr. Fives but I just that movie is so deep and so touching and and the way Antonio Banderas plays I mean essentially plays Amadovar himself mm-hmm. 
Um, should we give people a small, quick review as to what Pain and Glory is? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this movie came out, was it last year or two, two years, years ago? ago. Um, I have a visceral memory of going to the Alamo Draft House, getting, getting a cocktail, and just luxuriating in this wondrous performance um, by one of, you know, our great talents of like this generation of Hollywood. Um, and again, just being so surprised uh, by this soul for performance and, and Almodovar really kind of taking him to places he's never been before. Absolutely. Um, it's a beautiful film. Uh, Almodovar at his finest for sure. And I just think Antonio Banderas, you know, deservedly got an Oscar nomination. Um, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a non-linear film. It's kind of autobiographical, loosely based on Almodovar's life. Um, this idea of growing old, your body failing you. What does that mean? Looking back, um, it's a lot about you know the sacrifices you make to become an artist. Yes, and what that means. The your family that you leave behind to make art, the loved ones you leave behind to make art. It's so heartbreaking and. My God. And addiction in all of its forms, too, mm-hmm. nonetheless. Uh, this character that he plays, this stand-in for Almodovar, Salvador Malo, that he that Antonio Banderas plays, is a man who is so in pain, both mentally and physically, that he's willing to get himself hooked on heroin. Yep. But it's not presented in the same sort of way that a lot of addiction stories are told. And part of that is, is this character has money and affluence yeah. and, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, he's not like on the corner shooting up as a junkie. He's, he's able to walk into a doctor's office and be like, I need to detox from heroin. Right. And that stuff is really fascinating. I, I, almost completely forgot about that and then rewatching for this was like oh yeah the heroin mm-hmm. but it, it's a film about lost loves as you mentioned and not just loves in you know love of family love of partnership love of friendship mm-hmm. and it's really fascinating to watch him cram all these things like we said in the Almodovar episode that we did sometimes he'll take three scripts and he'll put them together and he'll find a way to stitch them together and make them work this was him truly working on an unparalleled level. Yeah, it's like a jigsaw Rubik's Cube that is so satisfying, like when it finally clicks into place. Because even this movie, you know, I'm watching it and I'm like, yes, wow, give me, give me more Britney Spears. And then like, until the last fucking second of the screen, I'm like, it's so exhilarating. Because even though you're like, wow, this is a very beautiful movie. You don't expect, like, in the last two minutes to be, like, blown away and, like, completely shook even further. And yet, he fucking does it every single time he brings it to the ball. As you walk out of the theater, you have to turn around and say, they got me, gal. They got me, gal. <laughs> I And uh, and I would be uh, remiss um, if I didn't say that Penelope Cruz, who plays his mother in this movie, in the flashbacks. And yes. Um, so good. So, yeah. She's so... Fantastic. Oh, and- my God. And, you know, you get some of the the regulars that Almodovar uses besides Penelope Cruz. You get Cecilia Roth in the film. Augustin Almodovar, his brother, plays one of the priests. So it's it's lovely to see this, this you know, sort of stable of actors that he has back and doing their thing together. Yeah, it's just such a lovely film. And once again, to talk about Antonio Banderas' performance, 
Amadovar mentioned when he did The Skin I Live In, he like purposely made Antonio Banderas sort of detox from American acting. Like he mm. wanted him to get rid of the acting tricks he'd learned and things that he fell back on. And I think you really see the effect of that in this film because it's unlike any other Antonio Banderas performance. And admittedly, once again, he's had Almodovar to study, but you're not just watching him play his friend. You're watching an actor act. You really put himself in the role and really live it. Yeah. It's just fantastic. I think the scene, like when he's with his like ex lover, who's like moved on. Yeah. Is so heartbreaking, and you'd never see Antonio that soft, yeah, and that like vulnerable. Tienes que me quedo a dormir contigo. Claro que quiero, pero vamos a cerrar nuestra historia como Dios manda. Nunca nos importó Dios si nuestra historia la podemos cerrar igual de bien mañana por la mañana. En cualquier caso, me alegra ver que todavía te excitas conmigo. Lo mismo digo, tú también te has excitado. Sí, vete. 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 Sí, me voy. Hollywood made him into, like, this action star. It's so funny. I was just going to say that. The unfortunate thing is, is, you know, he was making these films in Spain and he came to America. And, and it made him Zorro. Yeah, exactly. Hollywood instantly was like, well, you're a movie star. You know, you have movie star looks. And he's truly somebody who wants to be an actor. He's an actor. Yeah. You know, that's why he started that theater school. Yeah. And so I think, I think this is a true showcase of somebody just pumping out the top tier. And the, like, let's face it, in terms of Hollywood, Banderas isn't a spring chicken anymore. No, no, no. So it's great to see him be able to deliver this role. That's not really like an old man role, but still something that has the maturity that he maybe couldn't have pulled off a decade ago. Yeah. I think this is a very excellent second pick um, to be entered in the five-star Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I cannot believe we picked the same thing. But you know what? I can. I, I mean, look, okay, what, what what else did I have on my short list? It was not a very long... It was a no. quite short list. Um, I think... Yeah, I had three more other things. I thought... I did consider Eddie Murphy for Dreamgirls um, because I love that performance. I love that movie. I did consider uh, Michael Douglas for War of the Roses, just because I thought, like, what a fun, silly Billy movie. <laughs> um, and then I also um, considered uh, Jim Carrey for The Truman Show. Shut the fuck up. Um, that one you would have lost. <laughs> and I, but I knew I would have lost, and so I said, Gavin would never put Jim Carrey in the Hall of Fame. My big backups were, my sort of wild card of the backups was... Confessions of a Dangerous Mind with Sam Rockwell because mm-hmm. I truly love that movie and I think his version of Chuck Barris is so out there and so funny. It's definitely worth watching. Big Night from our Stanley Tucci episode. Uh, yes. I just love that movie and I love his performance. He's secondo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just such a great, interesting character. And then my other big backup was Velvet Goldmine from Hugh McGregor. Hugh McGregor. But once again, I knew you would never put you in in the Hall of Fame. <sighs> And not up against Antonio. No. no. None of no. them. Like, all all the movies we mentioned, um, I think, are good in their own right. But they're just nowhere near <laughs> Pedro and Antonio and their work together. So, excellent. Um, what's next, Gavin? Their next subject is our five-star director. I think we have moved past potentially picking the same thing. Yes, I think we're no longer in danger of that happening. Ready? Yes, on the count of three. One, two, three. 
Oh, bitch. <laughs> oh, bitch. That was on my list. So That was on my list. <laughs> so we've both turned our phones around to reveal. Louis has chosen Mira Nair's Monsoon Wedding. And Gavin has chosen uh, Richard Linklater's Before Sunset. Correct. Um, so not the entire Before trilogy. No, because in our episode, that go- brings us back all the way to episode three. Um, and we, you know... I meant we both mentioned the before trilogy, but I was like before trilogy, but I do have some reservations about the third film, which I like, but the third film's still very like men are like this, but women are like this, and that I'm like, ugh, heteronormativity, like uh-huh. no thank you. But before sunset, I think is the standout of the trio. Uh for those of you who don't know, Before Sunset is a 2004 romantic drama. It is the middle piece of a trilogy of three films about Celine and Jesse. Um Celine and Jesse met on a trip to Europe in the previous film and they spend one evening before sunrise together. Before Sunset sees them 9 years later having not reconnected at all. Jesse is on a book tour, he's written a book about that experience and Celine happens to see that he's going to be at her favorite bookstore, which I think is hilarious that it's Shakespeare and Company, and it's like, your favorite bookstore is one of the most famous bookstores in all of Paris. I just like like this little indie bookstore (laughs) in Paris. Um, So she meets up with him, and he has a limited amount of time. He's supposed to get on a plane at seven, Mm -hmm. and they decide to walk around Paris together, stop in a shop, have a conversation, take a ride to her apartment. And kiss a little bit, whatever. Li- yeah, exactly. And it all takes place over the course of 85 minutes. It is short. Yep. It's to the point. Taut. It, and it's beautiful. And listen, I know we're going to talk about some of the other films. This is maybe not the most cinematic behemoth of any film you've ever seen because it is literally two people talking about their feelings about what has transpired in the nine years that they haven't seen each other, a film about lost loves, a film about newfound love. And, but I think it's so personal and so deep and beautiful. I think the letting Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy who play these two characters, write their, a lot of their own dialogue really gave them access to these characters really down deep. There's a monologue she has in it about how every lover she's ever had is sort of takes a piece of her mm. and and each part of her sort of leaves with them and she fully never recovers there's uh, i mean i i connect with her character so much there's a there's like a dark sadness there that i love so much where he's very good at obfuscating his emotions and being like yeah life has been kind of all right and he's very it's very that voice yeah he's very american (laughs) about it and she's very french about it she's like i want to talk about love and romance and like why it's not all what it's cracked up to be and you know how she's like let's journal (laughs) yeah she's, she's like you ruined me and that's another amazing scene where she's like you took something from me that i never got with anybody else and i can never made a fucking book about it yeah absolutely I was fine until I read your fucking book. It stirred shit up, you know? It reminded me how genuinely romantic I was, how I had so much hope in things, and now it's like, I don't believe in anything that relates to love. I don't feel things for people anymore. In a way, I put all my romanticism into that one night and I was never able to feel all this again. Like, 
somehow this night took things away from me and I expressed them to you and you took them with you. It made me feel cold, like if love wasn't for me. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You know what? Reality and love are almost contradictory for me. It's funny. Every single of my exes, then they're married. Men go out with me, we break up, and then they get married. And later they call me to thank me for teaching them what love is, oh, and th that I taught them to care and respect yeah. women. I think I'm one of those guys. You know, I want to kill them. Why didn't they ask me to marry them? I would have said no, but at least they could have asked. But it's my fault. I know it's my fault because I never felt it was the right man. Never. It's just a beautiful, gorgeous film. So well acted, so well directed, so well edited, just sharp and to the point, and truly, truly maybe one of the most romantic things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I mean, the ending by itself yes. is, like, beyond, like, it's some of the best filmmaking out there. It's like, you leave on this high of romance. You you fully, like, um, you know, you said you didn't care too much about the third one, or, like, there's problems with it. Um, I certainly don't think it rises to... I, I mean, I, I like the third... I yeah. will say I like that. I don't want anybody to think that come away. This is not like a John Wick 2 situation where <laughs> I'm like, well, John Wick 2, but... Yeah, I mean, this is... the You, would, you wouldn't you would need the third movie. like Because yeah. the second one ends on such a high, and you're like, oh my fucking God, is love real? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. Like, you know, it it's one of those movies where you're like... I need to call someone like it, 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 it is life affirming, love affirming. Um, and it was on my short list um, because, uh, yeah, these these movies, that one in particular is like the, the first uh, before sun sunrise is before, the first before sunrise um, is kind of like the, you know, um, Tumblr post about like your first love. Yeah. And like the second one is the maturation of all that, but still taking the risk, the leap of faith. And like, it is just so ultra romantic. Um, so that's a very good pick, Gavin. Um, my pick. Yes. Give me your case. My case, um, is for M Mira Nair's monsoon wedding, which is a 2001 Indian, um, wedding movie. Essentially. Um, there's comedy, there's drama in it. Um, we talked about Mira and I, I, I love that episode just because I, I had seen Monsoon Wedding before. I'd seen, you know, a couple of her things, but I hadn't seen a lot of her movies. Um, and that episode to me was, to me, um, all the best things about our podcast, you know, like kind of getting outside of our comfort zone a little bit, familiar, making ourselves familiar with um, something that we don't get to see every day, perhaps. Um, and this movie... Um, which was buried underneath the, you know, cultural after effects of 9-11 because it came out literally yeah. around 9-11. Um, this movie deals with a lot of uh, maybe like second and third generation um, Indian, Indian American, um, uh, I don't want to say conflicts, but like tensions. Right. Um, a lot of, you know, family, just like drama and issues coming home um, for this wedding. It's Mira. We, we talk about on the episode, she's able to take like $5 and make it look like a million bucks. Yeah, absolutely. It's fucking nuts. Well, that's, I mean, the most bonkers fact that we discovered was the next film she did after that hysterical blindness was an HBO movie. And the budget was six times. Yeah. Yeah. Monsoon weddings. budget. A HBO was like here, all this. And she made a movie about like Jersey. Yeah. Um, 
Monsoon Wedding. It's kind of funny. We both chose films essentially about love. Um, and this movie, much like um, Before Sunset, is just full of love. It's so romantic. It's so gorgeous. It's interlocking a bunch of different stories between, you know, there's a... Um, the main story of the people getting married. There's a story of um, the servants who... Um, there's like a servant woman who kind of falls in love with a man who's like setting up the yeah. wedding and they have like this, this beautiful moment with the chrysanthemums together. Um, we have a moment of, um, there's a, uh, one of the cousins who is alleging that one of her uncles has, you know, sexually assaulted her. Right. And, and is a- a- attempting to groom another yes. one of the cousins. Yes. To do the same thing to her. Yeah. And she is like, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, there's, um, another woman who is like kind of more modern and skewing away from Indian traditions. And there's tension in that. The parents who are the very parents. traditional, but also in <gasps> the same the way. Tr- yeah. Trying to like, put the money together to, to pay for everything. And the son, you just said, you yeah. this is the queer coded son. Yes. Who's like, who's like, you know, more feminine who wants to just like be with his like, um, female, um, cousins and sisters and dance a lot. And they're like, what the fuck are we going to do with this kid? Yeah. Um, there's so much in this movie. And I think, uh, Mira, um, is able to just juggle it all. So it was so with such ease, yeah. like, this movie is a lot bigger, I would say, than um, Before Sunset. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, w- I would say, yeah. Gavin, I would actually say as a um, film critic. Yes, exactly. Uh, but is it? <laughs> but I think like both films are at the same level of like the amount of romance and like this, the right. big feelings of love and of devotion and kind of like the tensions that are um, intertwined with like timing and you know where you are in life um i just love this movie so much and it's a great film my son will be a man when he grows up understand he'll be an educated professional he won't be singing and dancing in people's shadis mama can you do this for me make a chain on my eyes why bitter for my dance with aisha tonight okay why can't you do something useful huh like some exercise or reading your school books for a change. Huh? Look at you, big, huge hulk. Can't spend your whole life singing and dancing. Why not? What do you mean, why not? You want to become a notanki wala when you grow up? You don't do any exercise. You don't even play cricket. You don't read a book. Just sleeping all day and watching TV. And now this new nonsense, dancing. Why? You also took Mama's dupatta and danced the other night. <laughs> well, you don't come by yourself with me. You're just a kid, understand? But right now you said I'm big now. That's now you're going to boarding school. Decide it. Since when? Bitta, bitta, papa, now only talking about it. No, 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 no. I have made up my mind. We are not. Please let me talk to him. I think Richard Linklater is a master of the word. Yes. And I think like the the trilogy of movies he made, um, the before trilogy, like I think they live and die by the masterful work he has with writing and also working with actors. Yeah. Um, because like, he's a true actors director. Yeah. Him and Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, like you just know that they have some fucking psychic connection where they're like, cause yeah. no one really even knows. Like, it's like, like I don't believe in soulmates, but I do think sometimes you meet people in your life that you're so connected to on the same wavelength. Yeah. And that's where they're at is yeah. they, they like, they, they, they three people who share one brain. Yeah. And 
I think the difference with Mira is that she is like a master technician. Yes. You know, she, her films are gorgeous. Gorgeous. They're somehow enormous and yet feel very personal. Yeah. Um, what was the other movie we saw of hers? That was her first. Oh, um, Salam Bombay. Salam Bombay, which is truly an enormous film. Like, it's just like you see this enormous city, enormous cityscape, but it's just about like the smallest, tiniest, right. most poor people. Um, and, and she's able to make the big seem small and more importantly, the small seem big. Um, and so, yeah, I think we have a very, um, we have two very good, um, picks, um, that we are going to need to somehow figure out, um, <laughs> the winner here. Before we move into that, I do want to say one of the great things about, and especially going into the, the director category that I kept thinking about was, um, I think one of the things that truly, in my opinion, makes a great film is specificity. Mm. And, you know, whether it's Mira and I are doing this very Indian story about a wedding, or whether it's Richard Linklater doing this very insular tale about this couple who fell in love and then lost each other. The thing that And works, then found each other again. Exactly. Ugh. And the thing that works for those those stories is that they're not, you know, they are about something very specific. And if you connect into that, that's great. But the movie doesn't necessarily care if you do or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what truly makes a good film. And we live in a time in which, and I don't want to go Scorsese on everybody, so I'm not going to name any names. We live in a time with a lot of blockbusters that want to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And a lot of that's very off-putting to me because it's like, no, I, I want to be touched and spoken to in a way that maybe I didn't understand what I was getting into coming in. Yeah. And that's why I think both of these picks really do a good job presenting. I don't want to denigrate um, Mira. Mira at all, because I, I do, once again, that is one of absolutely my favorite episodes. And if you've not listened to our Mira and I episode, I am pleading with you to go listen to it. It is so good. very, very good. But I will say, if you were to compare the two... One of the things that makes Before Sunset so great is how laser-focused it is on its subject. Mm -hmm. And it has a clear point A to point B that it wants to get you to. Sure, it's going to take its sweet time. It's going to go on a boat mm -hmm. or go for a car ride and whatnot. Isn't there a guitar involved? There's a guitar. There's a song. Oh, my God. When she sings the song oh, and at the yeah. end, oh, she, yeah. when she says his name in the song and he's like, oh. And at the end, he's like. Tell me, do you just plug every man's name that you bring up to? Like, it's such a dick, such an American dick. Yeah, yeah. But that's, but that's, you know, it's that specificity. It's the knowing who these people truly are. I don't know. You you have a tough decision to make. Because let me tell you, I don't think I'm budging on this one. You're not budging? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I... You're right about this idea. Like, both of these filmmakers have presented such a specific vision yeah. and like like genuinely i don't think mira and i are cares if you know what an indian wedding is like going in yeah and it, but it's so wonderful to like throw yourself off the mountain with her and go on the journey you know like yeah and, and not being babied it's just like yeah absolutely and that's what it's about is not being babied you know but on the opposite end with link later it's kind of the same i mean i i had never seen these movies before the episode um, 
And it was kind of shocking, kind of in the same way of watching Boys on the Side with Poopy Goldberg. I was like, they used to make movies like this? Like, yeah, holy I shit. I know. Like it Now these are like hidden on Netflix. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, and when we say hidden, it's like also very rare because yes. there's a lot of just trash out there now. Like, yeah. movies are being made at such a crazy rate and pace. Um, but th- I was just like kind of shook, kind of also the same way that when I saw Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah. I was like... My God, <laughs> they just let people make movies like this. Um, but as I like sit here thinking about watching those movies for the first time, especially the second one, um, remembering that feeling at the end of the movie, um, I'm willing to give you the win for best director because I think in the end, both of these directors are after the same thing and have the same vision and goal and both are very successful and also have had um, the missteps along the way, which I think are the, what is the core of this show, you know, absolutely like really going for it. um, And sometimes it's a swing and a miss and sometimes you fucking hit it out of the park. (laughs) So um, we have our third all-star. I do want to mention because, you know, we were mentioning, I, I absolutely did. I mean, literally, my next two choices, my waiting in the wings, were do the right thing, Spike Lee, mm-hmm. which is, and I, I don't want to mince words, it's a better movie than Before Sunset. <laughs> Before Sunset just happens to be my pick. Mm-hmm. But I will I will not die on the hill and be like, Spike Lee didn't make a better film than Richard Linklater's little romance movie. Right. No. This is our show we get to pick. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, and then Monsoon Wedding. Those were, those were my three. And, oh, and Lust Caution. I had I had eat drink man woman yeah Ang Lee is unparalleled and once again a, a master technician really knows what he's doing and let me tell you once again a story of a woman thrown into a, a uncomfortable <laughs> sexy spy ring versus Selena and Jesse that probably would have won if we were just talking quality alone but it's our show it's our show and also I think a lot about like this isn't fucking theoretical right like we're not academics i don't i'm not not trying to be (laughs) like we are living in a world where like am i gonna fucking sit down at home and put on this movie and like have a good time and be engaged with it and i don't mean like i need to like in no but you're you're right i when we were doing the almodovar episode i had major reservations because i you know my boyfriend's a huge almodovar fan and like basically a scholar and i was like i don't want to go on and sound like an idiot and dan's like no one's want. Nobody wants you to go on and talk about Freud. You talk about movies. They want to hear you talk about movies. Right. Talk about the movies. Yeah. Like he's like, no one's gonna be like, we need the deepest analysis of right. the, like that. That's fine. That's what your show is. Right. It's um. If you want film scholarship, uh, there are places to go for that. Um. We live in reality, and <laughs> I, it's just like. Yeah. I say this holding two film degrees, but it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) You know all about film scholarship. Um, You spent a lot of money for those. I did. did. And has it paid off? Let's find out. Check back in in another 20 years. (laughs) In another 100 episodes. Um, Okay. What is our next... Next is our mini genres. Yes. The next category is... Five star mini genres. This is maybe the smallest list. I love when we do mini genres. I'll be honest. I don't know if our audience loves when we do mini genres, but too bad because I, I think it's so much fun because it's so random. It's so and, random. And so just like out of the box and interesting and fun. And uh, it gives us the opportunity, though, to like hit a wide swath of movies that we 
perhaps would not have gotten to before, like the Goofy movie. Hello, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so Gavin, ready to reveal your pick for mini genre? Yes, you're gonna be so surprised. I know. <laughs> um, one, two, three. Oh wow! I like it. Um, I chose from our zombies episode, Night of the Comet. And I chose from our road trip film episode, Paris, Texas. Okay, let's get it right off the bat. I think both of those episodes are bangers. Absolutely. Um, Road trips. No, I was going to say road trips was surprising, but zombies was really fucking surprising for me. I certainly (laughs) was not. I zombies might be my number one move like episode. Um, Mostly because the surprise factor. I famously am not a spooky bitch. Um, But that episode fucking got me. Um, and just like the watching process. Yeah. Um, like I had no idea that I was going to go into this and come away being like, oh, it doesn't have to be all about like the horror and gore. Right. It can be about other things. And it's, and most of it's social commentary. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like the social commentary is so, like, I just love the metaphor of like what zombies could be. And also just love the idea. I mean, it might just be a reflection of like, we are living increasingly in a world that is falling apart and we are, as humans, are being pushed to the limits in how we behave. Um, and the main thing, I remember when we were talking about Train to Busan, it's like, what, input in crisis, how do we um, react? Um, and some people react with um, pain and fear and, and anger selfishness. and selfishness and others act with empathy and um, kindness. And that to me was just so, so powerful. Um, and so the, the, that episode in of itself is filled with uh, movies that were not even our picks. Um, but I was like, holy shit. Um, going through the genre list of what we, you know, we've done um, buddy cops. We've done superhero team ups. We've done 90s um, superheroes. Um, we did road trips, obviously. Holiday musicals. Holiday musicals. Santa Claus on film. Vampires on film. Ghosts. On film, ghosts. The Universal Monsters. Yes. Yeah. Um, but to me, zombies stood out. I just, I, I loved, I loved everything about it. Um, and <laughs> Night of the Comet is, uh, to me, was able to capture all of that idea of like, what do we do as humans when we are pushed to the brink? But then also make it like really fun and really right. um, silly, but also in a way like instead of like making fun of the Valley Girls and that, uh, you know, that women are like stupid or, you know, this idea that like when the world is ending, what do you want to do? And they say, I want to go fucking shop, bitch. Right. Take me to the mall. It's so funny, too, because it cribs from some things that make it really smart. I mean, it really takes... Romero's Dawn of the Dead, yes. which is a zombie film set in a mall, and then Romero's Day of the Dead, which is set in a military bunker, and and mushes them together, but adds this, um, I don't want to say chaotic, but kind of farcical element of oh, yeah. these valley girls. Yeah, it, and, and that's the thing, though. Like, it's human. Like, it's... it's um, you know, more human than, and once again, I picked a Dawn of the Dead when we did our zombie film. So like, I love Dawn of the Dead, not saying anything negative about it, but it's more relatably human, I right. would say, than the characters in Dawn of the Dead. Right. And it's speaking to a section of people that are dismissed, overlooked, um, and, and seen as, um, silly or flippant and like really like 
teenage girls, teenage yeah. girls who um, aren't believed for anything that, you know, no one looks to them to think of for um, anything that's happening in society. And I, so this was in 1984. It was written and directed by Tom Eberhardt. Um, it's, stars these two sisters who are valley girls one of them works at a movie um theater thank you um it's been so long since you've been to one you i know what they're called <laughs> it's like a movie cinema uh and the other is, is a cheerleader in high school and um there is a comet that's coming we're gonna whiz right by um earth and everyone's partying and celebrating like this big momentous occasion um and what happens though instead is um the comet was his by and most people just die and turn into fucking dust or turn into zombies. Um, but because, um, this girl, she's in the like film, she's in a lead line film, like right. projector booth. Right. Um, she doesn't get affected by it. Um, I can't remember what happened to the- her sister had to spend the night in the garden shed, the lead line. Right. Garden shed. Right. Because there's like, I mean, they hate their parents. Yeah. Their parents are assholes. Um, and, What's funny though was like when, um, the, it's Sam and, um, not Buffy, um, but, I but mean, it's, I mean, Buffy is based on, yeah, yeah, like literally. Listen, if you are a valley girl, there's many paths in life. You can be a zombie killer, a vampire slayer, a teenage witch. Yeah. You can be anything, anything you want. Anything you want, maybe, <laughs> um, her name's Reggie. Reggie kind of like encounters the first zombie. It's not like, Oh my god, ah! She's like, listen, buddy, I don't know what you're on, <laughs> yes. but I know how to fucking protect myself, and I will kick your ass. And guess what? She does. Um, this movie is, like, the most easy-breezy feminist movie I think I've ever seen, because yeah. literally it's a girl in a turquoise and magenta um, cheerleading outfit with, like, a gun just, like, firing away, and she's like, see... This one never would have happened if Daddy got us the gum, the Uzis instead. Yes, it's it's. <laughs> I love that line. It's an improvised line. Yeah, so completely bonkers. Here. Great. See, this is the problem with these things. Daddy would have gotten us Uzis. The car didn't know the difference. But also it has like a lot of the good, um, the great things I loved about zombie movies in general. You know, um, it's a very scrappy-do film. Um, the music is really fun. Uh, the dialogue is really fun. Um, and then there's like this like thrilling aspect of like, you know, these girls just want to have fun. And, but like, how are they going to like, <laughs> hashtag Cindy Lopper, <laughs> hashtag Cindy Lopper, hashtag drag race. Like it's, I think again, this movie, I, I thought a lot of like representing our podcast and our ethos. I thought like this movie to me represents so much of that. Um, and how it can be saying so much, having fun doing it. And doesn't have to be the biggest blockbuster um, around town. Yeah. I, I love this movie. And famously, after we did this episode on Halloween, I saw two girls dressed as Sam and Reggie. Um, you made this very difficult, first of all, because I think this automatically makes my choice look like Boo Boo the Fool. <laughs> <But, laughs> Boo Boo the Clown. Yeah, but also, 
I have to say, I have loved, I caught Night of the Comet on HBO as a kid. And once again, not a rich kid that had HBO, we were getting it illegally. (laughs) But I caught it as as a kid and have loved it ever since. It's truly a film I desperately love. I've been trying to get Dan to watch for years, maybe someday. He doesn't want to watch it? He doesn't want to watch anything with zombies or ghoulies or ghosts. I know, what's wrong? Um, But my choice... A Paris, Texas <laughs> is the exact opposite. Paris, Texas, um, if I remember correctly from the episode, is a is a a more uh, uh, introspective. Yes, um, it, it it is a hundred and forty seven minute film mm-hmm. about a man played by Harry Dean Stanton who walks out of the desert after having spent many right. years in it in a sort of fugue state. Right. Uh, they think he's mute. They're able to contact his brother, played by Dean Stockwell, in order to come collect him. Uh, Walt Henderson is Dean Stockwell's name. Harry Dean Stanton's name is Travis Henderson. And essentially, you find out that he disappeared years ago, left his wife and his kid. His kid is now living with Dean Stockwell and his wife, and his wife has vanished. Mm. And Harry Dean Stanton's character, Travis, while in this fugue state, essentially, he learns to sort of reconnect with both his brother and his child, who he's very distant from at first, and learns to kind of be a better father. But what you realize, like, in this process of attempting to track down his wife, who is played by Natasha Kinski, Jane Henderson, he blew up his life. His insecurities as a man the toxic masculinity and once again this is a film from 84 so it's crazy that it was dealing with is that the same year that of night of the comet i'm pretty sure yeah that's funny 84 that's amazing um which once again just shows you the dichotomy of this podcast which is so great um he blew up his own life because of his fears about not being good enough and not being manly enough and not being the person his wife wanted and not being able to be a good father. And this movie is a really fascinating character study in the fact that you're dealing with a man who is so broken inside that all he truly wants to do is tell people he's sorry and then get the fuck back out of there because he is not okay. Right. And it's a, it's, a tragedy that has sweet edges, if that mm. makes sense. It's this very measured performance from Harry Dean Stanton. It's a gorgeous performance from Natasha Kinski. She gets, there's a scene where he finds her at the end. Where she's essentially a sh- stripper in one of those booths that you can go in and put money in. And the, the, you know, they provide you a fantasy. I have no idea what the fuck that is. Really? <laughs> what is that? Have you never seen the Madonna open your heart to me music video? I guess not. It's that. It's that. Yeah, the private booths and like... Oh, a, yeah. okay, okay, okay. And like you put money in and the window opens and there's a girl on the other side. Not and all of us worked at strip clubs, Gavin. Listen, I had an eclectic career before <laughs> I met you. <laughs> and some of us lived a life. And uh, yeah, and she, you know, he... She doesn't even realize who he is at first. Mm. And then when she does and he presents his story... And she presents her story back. 
as to why she had to leave, why she couldn't stand to be around her son anymore, because she, his insecurities rippled out and destroyed everyone around him. I used to make up long speeches to you after you left. I used to talk to you all the time, even though I was alone. I walked around for months talking to you. Now, I don't know what to say. It was easier when I just imagined you. And he can't possibly pick up the pieces. It's fascinating. I know that that time run sounds impossible to people. <laughs> it does not feel like a two and a half hour film. It's just absolutely gorgeous, really thoughtful, well plotted. But I will say, nowhere near as entertaining as Night, <laughs> Night of the Comet. Now, so you picked that for our road trip episode. Yes. Is the road trip in that him searching for her? Yes. It's it's both his return from the desert right. as well. And as I said in the road trip episode, the thing that makes the best road trips are the stops along the way. Yeah. Regardless of how long they are. And let me tell you, when he leaves the desert and moves in with his brother, you get like an hour of that <laughs> before he decides to take off again yeah. to try and find his wife. And but it doesn't once again, it doesn't feel like that. It's it's actually very breezy for such heavy material because Wim Wenders, who directed this film, is really asking you not necessarily to empathize with this man or to be to understand his decisions, but to understand that he is a human being of complex emotions. He did a thing that he thought he had to do and now regrets it, but is teetering on the edge of doing it again. Right. Well, <laughs> Gavin, it sounds like you feel very passionate about Paris, Texas. Um, but I do think Night of the Comet feels more like our show. I do get that. I do get that. And I do think, you know, for the purposes of, you know, exemplifying the best of the best and 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 I I I also think, you know, I was resistant at first to all of our spooky episodes, but I will say, you know, doing them every year now has become one of the I don't know, like most consistent uh, and best spots of surprise for me and, and doing these things. And I think is, I don't know, opens up the genre a little bit, yes. you know, like opens up expectation possibilities. And I, I think this night of the comment is <laughs> a really great example of that. And like a beacon for the show um, in that way. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I really I really I I I really love Night of the Comet. I honestly I'll give you this one. I th- I think you're right. I and I know that sounds like I'm maybe conceding without putting up a fight, but I too have loved Night of the Comet for many years and I genuinely could not be more surprised that that was your pick. And once again, seriously, go to HBO Max, watch Paris, Texas, just do it. <laughs> but Night of the Comet wins the day. Yeah, I, we also, I mean, I, I forgot to mention, you know, the Road Trip movies was one of those um, episodes where I was like, oh, 
this is a surprise thing because like I we were just like, oh, yeah, road trips like easy. Like, you know, we know what that means and what it looks like. But road trips more often than not are, you know, metaphors for yes. um, relationships getting. It's not just getting from a place. It's, you know, growing, learning. Um, my pick for that episode was, was a goofy movie, which which I, is another movie about being a dad. Yes. So <laughs> it's about being a dad and connecting with your family. And, um, you know, that I think that as an episode that also surprised me in a way where I was like, oh, this isn't about them going to somewhere. It's about like knowing each other better. Oh. <laughs> um, so that, yes, I, I really enjoyed that. Episode. I believe I recorded that episode when I was at home. Um, yes. That was deep yeah. in the pandemic. Uh, I do want to ask if there were others. I mean, there were a couple others that I really looked at. Uh, the Innocence from our Ghost on Film episode mm-hmm. was a strong contender for me. All of my picks, which by the way, I was bonkers for me to do this from our queer cinema episode in which I picked the queen, how to survive a plague, Paris is burning and a portrait of Jason. All, all four, all I four think, documentaries. Right, I was like, say, Cause you chose the documentary. Yeah. So you were like, I was literally like, Oh, queer cinema documentary. Yes. <laughs> Here I am. Um, <laughs> Here's another genre. You know, I looking at the genres, I was like, pageants was really strong as well both of us chose i think really good uh movies um so i had dropped it gorgeous um kind of like locked and loaded um yeah the genres was a a little bit more difficult because there's so few of them but i also was like going back to like disney renaissance pixar um and i think i was like am i ready to really fight for mulan i don't know about (laughs) that um and i was also thinking you know i chose um ratatouille for Pixar, um, which I thought was a strong choice. But yeah, I again, I was just thinking about like, what does it mean to be in the Mixed Reviews Hall of Fame? And what and what is it like representing? And I truly just think the Zombies episode and Night of the Comet really, like if I was going to tell someone all you need to know about us and like the movies we love and watch and want you to love and watch um, can like kind of be drawn to that episode. Um, and both, I mean, both of our picks, I you know, very good. Um, but I do kind of like the silliness of uh, Night of the Comet. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But anyways, we should leave behind our mini genres and move to what may be the most important category now. Yes. Which is our wild card slot. Um, to review. So, the first all-star is Barbara Streisand and What's Up, Doc? This, which I chose. Yes. Uh, or which which was my fighter, if you will. The second slot um, is Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. Glory. Which we both chose. Yes. Um, in the third slot, we now have... Um, Before Sunset. Before Sunset for director Richard Linklater, which you brought. Um, and now we have... Night of the Comet. Which, which is your choice. For genre. For genre. So... I have two star, two and a half stars, if you will. Which is why I'm saying it's the most important. So what this is now is a wild card slot. We can pick any film from any of our five star mm-hmm, reviews mm-hmm. across the board, be it mm-hmm. actress, actor, director, director, or mini genre. Yes. And we are to present our case to see what will take up the final slot. Yes. As we pour the final Prosecco. Mmm. Mmm. Warm Prosecco now. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's favorite. I'm like hoping that you're going to be a Gagotrandra with this pick, um, but we shall see. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Ooh. 
I'm shocked by yours as well. So Louie... I'm not shocked at yours. No. Um, Louie has shown me his pick, which is The Snake Pit from our Olivia de Havilland episode. Yes. And Gavin has shown me Bride of Frankenstein from our Universal Monsters episode, which also a very fun episode. (laughs) Um, I was like, he chose Olivia de Havilland. He cannot win this for actress. (laughs) Um... Do you want? Do you want me to, to go? I would love for you to go first. Elucidate us okay. on the snake pit. So, again, in thinking about our show, I think um, some of our, uh, I would say, overlooked episodes or episodes that do not get enough love are the episodes about um, actors who are no longer with us from you know the golden silver age of Hollywood. Um, from our Joan Crawford episode, which I think was our first one that we did of this. And that one, truly, I was like, okay, I love history. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Reports. Um, Because she was an actress that was so written about and so interesting. um, A legend of, you know, the culture. And also being an actor was so different back Mm -hmm. then. A lot Mm -hmm. of it was literally being about signing your rights away to a studio. Yeah. Um, And so I really wanted, when I was thinking about um, the wild card, I was like, I do want to give a nod to those episodes because even though I think they're not maybe are the most popular episodes, they are a part of the DNA of the show. And I also think, um, I don't know. It's fucking fun. Yeah. Like it's really fun to go back and be like, like when we did Vincent Price, I was like champagne for Caesar fucking holds up. Like today you could watch that and you would be laughing your ass off. Anyway, anyone yeah. watching that, anyone watching that. And I don't think people know that. Um, and so I chose the snake pit from our Olivia de Havilland episode. A uh, hilarious film. A hilarious film. <laughs> um, no, I mean, bitch, you want to talk about high drama. Like, it, she, that episode, I was like, okay, this bitch could act her face off. Well, especially when you think about going from that and then doing the heiress afterwards. Yeah. The heiress was the next film she did. We talked about in that episode how she had, like, this little window of, like, banger, 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 banger. Like, it, we chose the two neighboring films <laughs> um, for her performances. And I remember thinking, like, you know, she's famous Maybe most famous for um, Gone with the Wind, right? Yeah. Um, I would also say kind of famous for being like the sweet gal, like the the not Joan Crawford. The the historians are, you know, will oftentimes be like, oh, the woman that's with Errol Flynn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She's often thought like kind of as, I don't want to say boring, but just like a very subdued and like normal gal of Hollywood. (laughs) Um, But something like The Snake Pit is a 1948 film um, by Anatole Litvak. Um, it is a movie about, I mean, God, it's about fucking men treating women like shit. Yeah. And, and like, um, this woman who, um, her, is it her fiance or her husband? There's a man in her life who's like, you are crazy. And they lock her away in a mental institution. And my God, if you can think about uh, mental institutions now, just think about them in 1948. Um, And they give her shock therapy um, to her brain. And she is contending with, am I crazy? Yeah. And this slow decline into madness. Um, And you can see like the beginning of the film is her like literally on a bench, you know, and you don't know if she's talking to someone or not. Um, is it in her head or is it not? Do you know where you are, Mrs. Cunningham? Where is he? As if he were crouching behind me. Why am I afraid to look at him? 
You know, don't you, Mrs. Cunningham? In New York, of course. I used to live in Evanston, Illinois. That's where I was born. It's right near Chicago. Did you sleep well last night, Mrs. Cunningham? How are you today? Very well, thank you. Who is he? And why all those questions? As if he were testing me. Do you hear voices? You think I'm deaf? Of course I hear yours. It's hard to keep on being civil when they ask you such naive questions. But who is that? And what's happened to him? And the movie is just like chock full of women um, and their performances. And, and she's like kind of at the swirling center. And just the things that she has to endure, she's being gaslit by this doctor and um, the, this man in her life who are like, no, sweetie, just keep doing this. You're going to be okay. You're going you're gonna to get better. You want to get better, don't you? And she's like, yeah, I, I, I do want to get better. I, I, I want to have the normal life. I want to be a good wife. Um, and she's willing to subject herself. Um, I mean, not even willing. She's gaslit into believing she wants this because if that's the way out, she's going to do it. And kind of like what you were saying in the heiress, she has this descent, this transformation. Um, and it is shocking to see, um, the movie itself, I think is really, um, cleverly shot. There's a lot of like kind of crazy graphical things that go on when she is the snake pit, um, is an actual place um, where they dump the like worst of the worst, the, the, the people they don't want to care about anymore. Right. But also it's um, alluding to this state of the mind, you know, she's in the snake pit of uh, uh, her psychosis that was brought on by these men who think they know best and, right. and don't want to and, listen to this woman. And it's not just the men. There is, isn't there a female? Well, there's like the guard lady, whatever. Yeah. But it's like, but, but because she's living in this patriarchal. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the fascinating things about the film is it's like outside of what's happening specifically with this character, uh, Virginia Stuart Cunningham, Olivia Havlin's character. You have this sort of bureaucracy. Yep. That is all about, not helping people. No. And and so, like, obviously, we, we still have a very similar mm-hmm. way we go about things to this day. Treating people as paperwork. Yeah. And it's a fascinating watch. You know, this movie actually uh, did... It's unclear whether how much impact it truly had in terms of reforming the, <laughs> the mental health care facilities of the time. But, you know, there are some people that claim that this be- being a wide release was able to reform some of the ways in which people were treated when they were put in these asylums. Right. I mean, and it's it's truly is shocking, you know, healthcare right now, right now, lol, always has been a fucking disaster in the United States. Um, and the way we treat people is so horrendous just because of, you know, at whatever conditions they have or are dealing with. And especially when it comes to mental health, which, you know, we still are learning so much about and learning how to, um, you know, care with people with empathy. And, and, and I remember, you know, she has this moment at the beginning where there's like voiceovers and, she, and she's because it's her she's thinking and she's acting, though, on screen to these voices in her head, her own voices, perhaps not her own voice. And it's so, so good and lived in. She's not. Like doing the like, hmm, 
<laughs> like it it feels like you know my god she got this character she is really you know it's no wonder that you know there was perhaps some change after this movie because like literally this is like a fucking rich white lady who could afford yeah <laughs> being sent to this type of place but the it's it's yeah, I don't know. She's Olivia de Havilland is one of our greatest legendary actresses of all time. And I think this performance um combined with the like social um aspects of the movie and those ramifications um and on top of all that, like I said, I think um it would be wise or maybe not wise, but I I like the idea of of giving a little like hat tip to um these episodes that we do every once in a while. And I moved in a completely different direction. And you said... <laughs> I said, I'm going to have some fun. <laughs> um, I chose 1935's Bride of Frankenstein. Um, it's a sequel to the 1931 film Frankenstein, also directed by James Whale. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein, for those who don't know, it's built off the uh, a brief idea that actually occurs in Mary Shelley's text, in which the monster demands Dr. Frankenstein build him a woman... He's unable to do so in the bringing size says name a woman, <laughs> name a woman. <laughs> um, what's great about this film is, you know, James Whale didn't want to direct it at first. And then he was like, I'm the only one who can direct it. But if I'm going to direct it, it's going to be a romp. He said, don't make me sing. Yeah. <laughs> don't make me sing. <laughs> um, the, this is the script is mashed together from three other scripts but sewn together, much like the monster himself, in such a tight manner and such an interesting way. Uh, you, you really get to see James Whale, first of all, by the way, queer icon James Whale, out gay man in the 30s. Okay, I just jumped into a split. Yeah, <laughs> very rare. Um, and he, you know, he was having he was having a load of fun you know he he wanted the monster to be able to talk this mm-hmm. time around mm-hmm. he wanted there to be a lot of christ-like imagery when it came to the monster especially the idea that you know christ died and then came back to life and the monster comes back to life and uh, is and then dies you know the subversion of that when he's strung up and being whipped but also, he, you know, he wanted to... Strung up, whipped, he dies. It's gay. It's camp. <laughs> it's gay. It's camp. Um, they introduced this character of Dr. Septimus Pretorius, played by Ernest Thesiger, who was a queen. Uh-huh. A very much a queen. I mean, God, that name of that character. Yeah. Oh, Septimus, Septimus Pretorius. Pretorius. Okay, uh, honey. Please but... welcome to the stage, Septimus Pretorius. <laughs> but I think what really makes this film... So interesting. First of all, breezy 70 minutes. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, not yeah. Bad 75 minutes, like, barely over an hour. Um, this is the party movie. And uh, is the empathy in which Boris Karloff injects so into the monster. Credited here only as Karloff, as he was often done in the Universal Studios movies. I didn't know that. He was credited as just Karloff? Karloff, yeah. Well, in the first Frankenstein, he's credited as question mark. And so in Bride of Frankenstein... Oh my god, I forgot the gag of that. Yeah. yeah. In Bride of Frankenstein, um, Elsa Lanchester, who plays the bride, uh, also plays Mary Shelley at the beginning of it in a brief prologue. And so she's... With the fancy guy who's like, what is this? Yes, exactly. He's 
like, oh, my my favorite thing she does, my favorite acting choice in that is he's like, it's too bad they wouldn't publish your book. And she's like, it will be published. And then turns to the camera and she's like, I think. <laughs> like, Queen. Hell. Queen. I fucking love her. The Like literally one of the best actresses ever to grace the screen. Um, truly just a character. She's credited solely as Mary Shelley in the film. And then the bride is credited as a question mark. Okay, we love a running bit. <laughs> exactly. Um, essentially, Frankenstein's monster survives the the burning windmill from the first movie, mm-hmm. um, wanders the countryside being tortured, literally tortured by the people of the town because they refuse to attempt to even understand him. Um, runs a Famously pro- runs into our blind man. Yes, who is a man that's playing the violin and he teaches him how to smoke and how to drink and he truly <laughs> virtuous yeah. gay activities yeah. um he befriends this man all while this is happening dr pretorius uh dr frankenstein's old mentor shows up and is like hey heard you brought a dead person to life i too have been wanting to bring things to life i grew these miniatures oh yes i forgot the, the miniatures the miniatures are one of my favorites they're like yeah funny enough one of them's the king and that the bit with the king was removed in japan because they thought it was like you can't make fun of the emperor so i get really confused when like tiny kings and the emperor it's like the same and um uh yeah and and dr pretorius is like Hey, babe, you know what we should do? We'll make a lady this time. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a lot, you know, it'll be a lot more fun. Um, the monster returns to Dr. Frankenstein's estate. Um, Septimus Pretorius intervenes and is like, I'm your friend. I'm your only friend. And me and the doctor, we're going to make a baby together. Okay, literally, you sound like <laughs> so, like a million gays that I run into <laughs> on Fire Island. It's wild. Yo. Make man like me? No. Woman. Friend for you. Woman. Friend. Yes. I want friend like me. I think you can be very useful. And you will add a little force to the argument if necessary. Do you know who Henry Frankenstein is? And who you are? Yes, I know. Made me from dead. I love dead. Hate living. You're wise in your generation. We must have a long talk, and then I have an important call to make. And so he proceeds with his same-sex partner, Dr. Frankenstein, yes. to create a woman... And Doc and Frankenstein's monsters elated. Unfortunately, this woman's like, hey, yeah. Ah. This woman's like, uh, I don't, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm feeling my oats, babe. Yeah, yeah. And so Frankenstein's monsters like, this was never gonna work. This is never going to work. And he utters maybe the saddest line in any monster movie, which is, "We belong dead," mm. and takes out him. The bride, Dr. Pretorius, and lets Dr. Frankenstein and his new wife go free. Mm. Uh, spoiler alert. But once again, 75 minutes, babe. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's both a just a, an amazing, fun time 
so campy, so wild. Not what you're expecting for a sequel to this very serious, not particularly faithful adaptation of Frankenstein, but very serious monster movie. In this film, you get a, you know, a, a mad doctor who's as gay as the day is long, but you also get this monster who is sad and heartbroken and doesn't understand why he's alive. But just like most gays. Yeah. <laughs> as, I mean, um, you know, the, he even says at one point, hate living, mm-hmm. love dead. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a actually really deep, heartbreaking performance. It's so funny to say that about a man who has a flat head. <laughs> but I, I love Karloff's embodiment of the Frankenstein monster. Oh, yeah. Um, they, James Whale said that they had determined that, uh, he would have the intelligence of an 11 year old and the libido of a 15 year old. <laughs> and, and that was their, their concept. Got it. Karloff hated the idea that the monster would speak. He thought the romance was in the fact they didn't speak. I disagree. Yeah. In all honesty, I think his words, especially the words that they chose to use in the film. It's are not important. a lot of words. No, it's very like specific, useful, utilitarian to like, it's almost like these tiny little thesis statements that he's just kind of like dropping here and there. Um, yeah, I, I do love you know, the universal movies, uh, episode of universal movies, lol. universal monsters episode was also a pretty special episode. I remember because those ran the gamut from like really kooky, bookie, silly, yeah. dumb cash grab things to like really kind of like elevated, um, but still campy yeah. and fun. Your pick, the black cat, black cat, is also one of my favorites. Absolutely. <laughs> the little claw. Yeah. <laughs> Karloff, who in that movie plays um, both a, an evil doctor, but also a Satanist who like <laughs> is preserving women, but also gets flayed alive by his own cultists. Yeah. You know, it's these things that you don't get in like that, that exists both pre-code and sort of outside the jurisdiction of what the censorship was willing to do, but also in this, like, deeper realm where it's not just about how much gore can we throw up on the screen or how many jump scares can we get in within 15 minutes. Right. And and that's one of the things I love about the Universal Monster movies. Uh, I hate being that guy that's like, they don't make them like they used to, but that's how I feel, especially about Bride of Frankenstein. That is a movie that could not be made today, and I know that they've been trying to get a remake off the ground. Trust me, it will not be this movie. No. And I highly recommend... You can watch Bride of Frankenstein for free on Peacock. There's some ads, whatever. Yeah. Just Just buy some, you know, buy whatever Reese's they're selling you and then... You call it a day. Call it a day. But, uh, yeah, Bride of Frankenstein, I'm just really passionate about it. And also, because it is queer history, there's a really great film about James Whale called Gods and Monsters, starring Ian McKellen and hot young Brendan Fraser. Okay. And... I highly recommend, especially there's some great like flashbacks to the making of Bride of Frankenstein where um, Dr. Pretorius is just queening oh, my all God. day. Um, well, Gavin, I don't want to, you know, belay, um, belay um, the, you know, what we're here to do. Um, so I will say that I love a snake pit. But I do think that your pick of Bride of Frankenstein is able to represent a lot of what I was hoping that Snake Pit could do, and then some by also, um, in the same spirit of the Night of the Comet, 
you know, it is um, saying a lot of things, making the small things big, um, making the big things small. Um, and so I'm very happy to um, choose uh, or accept your pick of Bride of Frankenstein as our wild card winner. So does that mean it's a tie altogether? No, because I did get two and a half. Right, but I technically also have two and a half now. Oh, now you have two and a half. Fuck. Yeah. We're both really bad at math. Okay, guys. (laughs) We don't do math. We watch movies, okay? But that's perfect. So, our Hall of Fame, as it stands, for our first 100 episodes of our The Mixed Reviews... So this would, I guess, would be, in our normal show, our Mixed Reviews review... Yes. ...would be, for Best Actress, we chose Barbara Streisand in What's Up, Doc? For Best Actor, we both chose Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. For Best Director, we chose Before Sunset for Richard Linklater. And for Best Genre, or Mini Genre, uh, we chose Night of the Comet from our Zombies episode... And for our wild card pick, which can be any of our five star reviews, we chose Bride of Frankenstein from our Universal Monsters episode. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, Louis. I know. Can you believe I, first of all, I thought I was going to win all of them. <laughs> I came in knowing I would win all of them. So. Um, okay. <laughs> Drag. Um, I certainly didn't think that it was going to be a tidy little tie. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful work. And like, listen, I know it sounds like we're being like, oh, kumbaya, we did a tie. It's a small world after all. But genuinely, we did not know each other's picks before coming in. We do this every week, the four years we've been doing this, which by the way, we've been doing this for four years, but we're bi-weekly because, you know, queer. Because we're tired. We we have, we walk really fast. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, we don't tell each other our picks, and I think that makes the show spicier. Yeah. Um, I cannot believe it's been four years, Gavin. Yeah. Um, I gotta say, you know, like, I I don't know if people know, like, because certainly we have people on Twitter who will just, like, comment or, like, message and never have, like, listened to the episodes. And I'm like, no, this isn't just us, like, I like this movie. Like, you know, like, this is... It's a lot. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it I, is. And, and I don't... I want to make it clear to everyone listening, like, you and me have jobs. Yes. <laughs> we pay rent. We both have full-time jobs. Full-time jobs yeah. um, and other little side hustles as well. Yes. Um, I was thinking on the walk over here, riding the bus, I was like, imagine, like, tonight we're like, and today we're premiering ads. <laughs> Sponsored by Helix Mattresses. Oh, he, the, the spoiler alert, and this is not to knock anybody who listens to us, we would need more listeners to have ads. Correct. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us, too. I think, you know, I've been, not to make this about me, but I've been podcasting since 2011, which this means it is my decade as podcasting. I did a very small show called KGB Cast, which no longer exists. I'm, which is I, how I found you. Yes, yeah, and you did. You plucked me from obscurity. I said, hold yeah. on. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, you want to be a star, baby, don't you? No, I um, remember walking through San Francisco in the Castro. Like, I I was walking from work to home, home and, like, listening. And I want to say you either began or finished an episode with, like, a conversation about Fifth Harmony. <laughs> I believe it. And I it made it. me laugh so hard. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, that was uh, five, six years ago now. Yeah. Uh, Wild. um, I've done a bunch of podcasts since. I worked for the Tribeca Film Institute. I worked for Midtown Comics. I have to say, 
without hesitation. This has been the most fun I've ever had podcasting, <laughs> but it is a lot of work. It is, it's more work than I've ever done for any of those other shows. <laughs> and let me tell you, I was paid for some of those shows. I know. I'm not paid for this. I know. But, but this is, but this is what I love doing. I love creating these projects for myself. I love doing the research and I love being able to talk with you specifically about them. I also think we, you know, because it's so much work, I always, I think we have conversations about like, let's not make this difficult. Yes. We're not going to like, you know, it is, it is, it is passive work in watching movies, of course, like the, <laughs> it's not hard labor, Yeah, but you know, to make time to watch movies and, uh, take notes and, and research. The, the, the amount of movies that we're yeah. watching, you know, like I think the Diane Keaton episode we did with Sam, like that, I, when I type in like websites, like, Diane Keaton still comes up yes. because of the amount of times I was going back. I, I have a bookmark to a specific website that every time I open it, it opens to like the search bar says looking for Mr. Goodbar. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> and I will say, you know, I think in this past year specifically, um, I definitely have felt, you know, my God, like there's more things happening. It's super tiring. A lot of work, which makes me even more grateful that we have people like calling in or like, you know, emailing us about wanting to be on the show um, because it keeps it interesting. And it, it makes me feel like, Oh, like this isn't just something I'm doing to like, I don't know, for fun or patting myself on the back. And like, I have a show like yeah. it's uh, we're engaging with people. Like when we have people like Liam or Trana on, I'm like, Oh my God, you guys are so inspiring to talk to and like, right. and bringing new perspectives. I will say when we did our um, Black Hollywood series, like that to me felt so, I don't know, like, I don't want to say good, but it felt uh, special. Yeah. It felt special to um, talk about, you know, this slice of Hollywood um, and, you know, we've given money to causes we believe in and just... I don't know, making this show not just about us and not just about cinema, but like we're humans. And I think we've said before, like humans are more important than art and um, being able to make that connection of these human connections. Like we watch some fucking stupid movies in our Netflix watch parties. Yeah, I swear to God, if I have to watch burlesque one more time <laughs> and you do, and I do, <laughs> um, if I have to learn more about air rights, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. <laughs> a word so wonderful. They wrote three songs about it in yeah. one movie. Yeah. Burlesque. <laughs> but also even like, oh my God, the response we've had from um, our pride merch. Yeah. Like that fucking shirt. I was sitting at home making that illustration, killing myself being like, this is stupid. I hate it so much. And then to hear people like, not, not even here, but see people yeah, buying see people. and wearing it. People in Ohio, people in Texas. Like, I don't I don't know. Not places that I would. I mean, people internationally yeah. writing in and talking about, you know, God, do you remember when we were um, prepping for um, Cicely Tyson and literally the night before we I see like I'm te I'm literally texting Gavin yeah. and the alert comes up. Cicely Tyson has died. My heart fell into my stomach. Yeah, it was. I was like, oh, and that was an episode that was. Um, submit it from a listener. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, I was like, we were literally listening to her, uh, um, her, um, autobiography. Her autobiography. And, and, which I have right over there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah, it's been quite a wild ride, 
um, hundred episodes. We've talked with really cool people. But as I was going back, I was like, oh yeah, Connor was really fucking cool. Well, that's the and and I love the range. You know, we've had she's got the range. Absolutely, we've had film critics on, whether it be you know Connor or Manish or Dan Mecca. Yes, we've had actors on, <gasps> such as Brandon T. Snyder. You know, we we've had Trano and Tour on. You know, all these people, and I I feel bad if I'm not naming you. It's not because I didn't enjoy you. It's just like we've had so many amazing people on. Um, Murtada Alfada. You know, the, these also remember when we casually were like interviewing actors, yes. for our special episodes. Oh, and I do, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. I do want to say we never really brought it up on the show because it was um, very emotional, specifically for me. Um, I had the great opportunity to befriend Michael Martin, mm-hmm. who was an actor. He was the lead in my favorite film of last year. Yep. Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Uh, I got a chance to interview him. It's one of our special bonus episodes. Please go back and listen to it. Michael, unfortunately, passed away this March. And and my God. Yeah. That bonus episode, I remember being like, holy shit. Like, you did a proper <laughs> interview, like talking about his life, his work, and what a character, what a generous person, um, real salt of the earth, real, like a, a, a queer, cool, fucking just, yeah, I don't know. I remember you sending it to me and I was like, let's fucking see what Gavin did. <laughs> and just really being blown away, you know, and um, it was Again, like the things that we've been able to do to the show. But also, I would never have done it in a million years had you not done your interview with Sam Gozari. Yeah. From American Dreams. Yeah. And which is a a completely, again, like a dumb, dumb movie that affected me so much that I slid into this actor's DMs (laughs) and was like, hi, want to talk about this old movie you made? Um, And I remember talking to you about it. I mean, like, we just got to do it. We just got to do it. Like, there is no holding back. Like, the worst they can say is no. And I remember, because you were the one who told me, like, you should watch this movie, um, uh, Empty, Bloody Bloody Nose's Empty Pockets. And I did. And I was like, (laughs) you're fucking right. Like, it was one of those movies that just, like, so affects you. Um, And both of those people, uh, both of those actors were so generous with their time. We are literally... It's you and me, babe. Like, there's no one yeah. pulling the strings behind the, 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 the mirror. We're our own producers. Um, and uh, it has been such a pleasure. It truly has. And I'm looking forward to the next 100. There so who knows what we're going to do next? Whoops knows what we're going to do next. I mean, truly, we've not decided. We have not decided what's going to come next. <laughs> but if you do want to suggest something to us, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. We're also on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. You can also email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Leave us a little love note. Yeah. We're also um, on Instagram. You can slide into our DMs. How about that? <laughs> um, just type in the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to us as you've been listening to us these past 100 episodes, you can find us on a plethora of podcast apps. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. Uh, Audible? Audible, Amazon, everywhere, yeah. anywhere that you want to be, we're there. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please go there, leave us a five-star rating, and write us a little review. We'll read it on the show. I think you can also do that on Audible now, so okay. feel free to drop by and do that for us. Work. And, you know, if if you're joining us just now or, or are new to the show, um, we invite you to take a take a quick little gander in our back catalog. You know, there are a hundred episodes for you to go through. Um I've talked to many friends who say, you know, I go here, I go there, I see something I like, someone I really want to hear you talk about. Um, There's something literally for everyone. 
um, including, you know, those kooky booky little uh, genre, mini genre <laughs> episodes, uh, you know, our bonus episodes talking to Michael and Sam. Um, yeah, it's that's what I love about the show. I don't need you to listen to every episode. Um, it would be great if you did. Yeah. But I but I also just love, you know, being like, you know, what? I fucking do love Angela Bassett and I'm going to listen to the shit out of that. Um, you know, uh, I think that's true. Yeah. 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 And if bitch, if you don't know who Mira Nair is, now you do. Yeah. And you can go and learn more. And if you find yourself, as we are all now, um, watching more, um, binging more, streaming more, and you want some inspiration, honey, we've got 100 episodes of inspiration for waiting for you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for everybody who has listened and, and written in and interacted with us. We truly do feed off that interaction, so please never feel shy. You're never bothering us by <laughs> tweeting at us or emailing us or DMing us. Or asking us if you want to be on the pod. Absolutely. Um, we've had some of our very good friends, Sam, Christy, who are just pals. Um, well, Christy, Chris, Christy's not say, just Chris, a pal. Yeah, Christy's a Christy, famous film critic. But Christy is a pal. Yeah, like, yeah. What I what I mean to say is you can be a pal, you can be a professional, you can be an amateur, it doesn't matter. Um I, I, I think I very clearly was like, oh my god, Christy is the smartest person I've ever talked to. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, just shoot us a note. We'd love to chat. Absolutely. And thank you so much again for listening to our past one hundred episodes. Oh, I know. We, How are we gonna start one hundred and one? Oh my god. <laughs> with Dalmatians, obviously. Ah! <laughs> that was stupid. That was stupid. And this podcast is ended. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>